You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. If you guys haven't checked out the new Navigator series from Lacrosse, I strongly suggest you do that. Two really good boots within that Navigator series, the Windrose and the Atlas. If you want to find out more information about all of the boots that Lacrosse offers, visit their website, lacrossefootwear.com. You won't regret it. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back, guys. It's another Land and Legacy Podcast. Adam here. Matt is here. And we are bringing you another late night podcast from the road in the hotel. But it's, it's Sunday, so we're still going to preach. It's, it's <laughs> late night preaching. Six days on the road, plus one, and we're going to make it home tomorrow night. Yep. Um, late. But so got to some wrap up. Burning on our brain. We've worked in southern Iowa. We've worked yep. in eastern Iowa, northeastern Iowa, west Iowa, northwest Iowa, southeast Nebraska. Because you're going to work a property tomorrow. Yeah. Western Iowa here. Okay. North of, yes. you know, an hour and a half north or than from the other property work. So we've been all over Iowa. <sighs> it's been a long trip. But been a good one, and I think that this this podcast here is probably going to um, hopefully enlighten, but at the same time throw some throw some questions, let's say, up in the air as to wh- what are you guys saying? What do you mean? Are you are you guys serious? Like there's hope for real. There's hope. I can do this, and we're saying yes, absolutely. So so obviously everyone knows by now. A lot of our talks, a lot of our methods, a lot of techniques, beliefs, and all that, it's based around the glorification, the improvement, the restoration of land in general. But but through all of that and through working with landowners who are trying to improve their their hunting and the habitat, who want bigger deer as we're hunters, there's, there's truth to what we're going to say and what we're going to share. And despite being in Iowa, I'm 100% certain if a gentleman is to, or a lady, is to, is to 
be able to manage for an older age class of deer, quality whitetails. When I say quality, let's just let's just say Boone and Crockett deer can be grown anywhere. Yeah, you and and quality habitats in place. Yeah, you yes. didn't say that. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is. It, I don't. I don't care what what part of Iowa you're in. I don't care what part of Tennessee you're in. I don't care what part of Maryland you're in or a part of Pennsylvania you're in. If the the resources are present on the landscape, that if the age structure yeah. first and foremost is in place, then the habitat is there. You're. A deer can reach that potential. Yeah, 100%. Reach I, don't, I don't care where you're at. Most people, I'm guilty of this, and, and very much so. When you watch outdoor television, um, you'll sit there and you go, man, it sure be nice to hunt in Iowa where there's big deer. I'd like to go to Kansas one of these it days. It would sure be nice to hunt in Oklahoma where there's big deer. I'd Maybe sure love to go I'll to get... Illinois and hunt Pike County. Maybe I'd love to go to, to Ohio. Decatur County, Iowa, and, sh- and and shoot a big deer. And it's easy to sit there on your soapbox and and boo- and cry the boohoo's because you were you were born and raised, and because of your job or your family, you live in the hills of East Tennessee, or yep. you live in the mountains of North Carolina, or you live in. The Ozark Mountains, like me, and you say, man, God sure has a sense of humor. He put a diehard deer hunter in the worst place in the armpit of whitetail deer hunting. And then and it's like, you know, there's a lot of people that move to Iowa, and that's all that's all fine and dandy. Uh, and they move to Iowa because that's a big deer. But, Be- fellas. Because, because there's a, it's like there's a land of opportunity. Well, land of opportunity, you create that opportunity is what we're, is what we're here to say. You can you can move to Iowa and have a really good chance of killing big deer, or you can listen to this podcast and be motivated and inspired to know that you can grow big deer on your turf in East Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Mississippi almost anywhere Indiana. in the country, I, it because it's not what you may think is required to grow big deer. You may think that it's corn and soybeans uh, and it's one buck tag a year. Now, we are going to be open and honest and say your chances are they're more prevalent in certain areas of the world. Yes, regulations percent. Uh, regulations are make it better. There's no gun season during the rut. There's only one buck tag. It's really expensive for a non-resident. Yeah, sure. That all that stuff just makes it more. It makes it easier for bucks to get of the age class to express Boone and Crockett potential. There's yes. There's simply more of them on the landscape. That that's just facts. If you don't, if you if you have, let's just break down real quick. There's there, there's three things that will determine antler development growth. Number one, age. We all we all know that. We have all heard that. Thank goodness for QDMA providing that education for us. And and, and I want to say, truthfully, take that and look at it over the past 20 years. Maybe your state, your region, the hunters that you have, you've been around. With that knowledge, look at what's been able to happen. And maybe it's just the prevalence of deer 
of that certain upper age class three plus that you're now able to see, you're able to witness and, and have a chance at harvesting. In the last 20 years, look at how that how that education has really truly helped and then how the age structure, when you look at the whitetail report produced by QDMA, how that age structure across the country has drastically shifted away from button bucks and year and a half old deer into harvesting way more deer that are over one and a half tons in the three and a half and four and a half range compared to that before it was that information was readily accessible now yeah. now here's the scary thing is and here's what what we're saying yes there are the states like adam you talked about where regulations will al- improve the chances and the odds the prevalence of older age class deer take kansas for example the one buck state it's a draw state and the rifle season is out of the peak rut and so by that we know that okay the number of bucks is of harvest is is rather limited um non-residency uh hunter application that's a little bit limited because of the draw and and it's just the rifle season's out of the rut. So so you have a better chance, regardless of the habitat, in Kansas to harvest an older age class deer than maybe let's say Virginia or West Virginia. Or Missouri. Right? Or Missouri. Because the age structure in that state's different. That doesn't mean even though great deer are harvested in Kansas that the habitat on some of these places is good. That's not what it equates to. Yep. It just equates to good age structure. But here's the magic thing. Adam, what's going to happen when when we have, let's say, 20 years of people devoting time, energy, knowledge into managing the habitat? Like truly land habitat management and they already have the pre-existing knowledge of of what age will do to a whitetail, you can't tell me that, that more giant deer aren't going to come out of Tennessee. Absolutely. More giant deer aren't going to come out of Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, well, when anywhere. You look at, I don't care. When you look at just the, the growth of a of a whitetail deer and you look at the year in the life of a, of a whitetail, we've got that podcast somewhere uh-huh. back in the file in the archives, but... Um, a deer, if you look at your region, uh, one thing people should start really focusing on, maybe shut off shut off outdoor promotional stuff for a year and just look at a, uh, at a white-tailed deer and go, okay, I'm in the south, the biggest stress period is late summer. Okay, how can I maximize and take that and lower that stress period? Oh, I'm going to manage some natives. You know, during that late summer, ragweed is going to be doing really good. Go look at ragweed standing next to soybeans in late summer when it's hot and dry. Ragweed's doing way better than the soybeans. Maybe I ought to manage my herbaceous plants and native plants, old fields. Then look at in the north and say, okay, well, late winter, early spring's horribly stressful. Well, crop crop fields aren't planted anywhere. They're they're months behind when an antler starts to begin to grow, or a month behind when an antler starts to grow. Stress periods are one of the biggest things that we're not helping. Uh, it's overlooked. And if you can combat that and say, okay, this is a stressful period of time. 
I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to fix this hole in my habitat. And boom, now we've got stress levels greatly, greatly decreased. And then you flip that with just, you know, the big three, the big most important things. Add age, add food. And the genetics is really one of those things that, for some reason, it ranks very high on the list. No, 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 no. no. For for management, sometimes where choline and like I'm 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 gonna add this to the genetics. I've got a bunch of I've got a bunch of eight pointers on camera. There's there that, that that's what I'm dealing with. Um, but it changes so much you can't manage it. It's something that society tells us that we should try to manage it or that we can manage it when we should just focus on the other main two. We should focus on age if our goal really is big deer. And we want a lot of big deer. And then number two is food. Like, you can't, y- you don't have any control over genetics. So just number one, just, just stop. Yeah. But, but in, 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 it's like trying in, to control the weather. Yeah. Doesn't do its thing. And, 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 and it donuts to me. one. Just talking about that too. Not just, not just the, the herd genetics in general, but a deer, the individual's genetics in general like you hear the phrases you know once a spike always a spike or we're managing for eight eight pointer or removing eight pointers because we want more time we want more points donuts was a three and a half year old eight pointer a four and a half year old eight pointer not a nine pointer i think last year right no he was an eight pointer he had a kicker at three and a half just a little nub but he was a true eight pointer at four and a half and four and a half is like the magical age. Okay, let's. Well, that's what is taught a lot. And then at five and a half, he turns into a mainframe eleven pointer. Totally, totally different. But but you would have said, well, four and a half. That's a great indication of of ninety percent of his potential or right. whatever. So that that is the whole the whole point though of of part of the podcast is. You can't look at a deer and say, genetically speaking, there's a whole other podcast on this one too, this whole genetic topic. But you can't look at that deer and say he's expressing that much of his potential because you don't know the nutritional side of things. You don't know whether that was a stressful year for that deer individually or just the general landscape was um, maybe it was a drought year. And, and, and you just you don't know all these factors and – you can't look at that deer and say, well, he is for sure expressing 90% of that potential even though he's at four and a half. You, you, you really just don't know. Yeah. If you want to know, then you're going to have to let it go another year. I mean, yeah. I mean that, that's it. You, you just have to take the finger off the trigger it's like and trying not to, shoot it. Trying to understand uh, an individual buck's genetics is just one of those things where you can try and try and try, but you're going to drive yourself mad trying to figure it out when you could just – do what we know will help. We can manage habitat. We can make year-round food and cover available to where we can get deer to older age classes because that's something we can control personally. We can't control what our neighbors might do, but we can control it personally, and we can also control the habitat. Those are two things we can key key in on and say, this is what I can do, and so I'm going to put my very best foot forward and make this happen. Well, and here's the other thing. Go, go, go. Let's go back to the the general land use or the landscape across 
most of the areas that you would look at and say, well, that's pretty unproductive for for harvesting, growing, let's say Boone and Crockett deer. You look at places where it's heavy timbered areas. Typically speaking, you don't have as many larger deer, right? Well, that's not all based on the... Um, the age structure, right? There's probably a limiting resource. That's sunlight getting to the forest floor that yeah. that makes food available. So there's there's a ton of different factors into all this. But what we do know through research um, is the fact that let's just uh, I think it was I don't know all the I don't I remember all the exact uh, plant forage types that were that were selected off of different sites across the country, but random samples of the of the uh, forage parts of the plants like ragweed uh, red maple or some of the other green briar green briar um, these samples Pokeweed. were taken from all across the country University of Tennessee research yeah. and in varying soil types good bad horrible <laughs> and like decent places but that plant still produced and offered the same amount of protein, crude protein, in every single soil type. So so you might say, well, I don't have the soils of Illinois or Kansas. There's or more Iowa. minerals in those soils. Yeah. You hear that one a lot. You do. Definitely do. Well, there's more and, calcium and, and in it. I think it was Fort Bragg, I believe it was. So I had some of the worst soil testing. Yet ragweed and these other plant species that were tested from that site and compared to across tons of other sites still had the exact same crude protein levels. It was still or from a nutritional not standpoint. Not exact, but it was like, like all like within a few one or two rating percentage of crude protein. Yeah, Nothing you can even yeah. tell the difference. Right. And so, but it, but at the same point, they still all met those minimum requirements yeah. for deer. That the plant itself may have been shorter, I think is what they determined. Um, but, it doesn't. The whole point of it is, it doesn't matter where you're at. Stop. Stop using. Well, I'm not there, as an excuse. Yeah. That that's not, or or my state. Well, everybody kills three bucks. Really? Do, how many people do you really know that yeah. actually kills three bucks? Because well, here in Missouri, it was what five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. There, it was a three buck state, but it was like one percent of the license sales actually harvested three bucks. Yep. Like one percent? You're not make that's not making a dent or a real big change into the age structure over the entire state. Like No, not at all. And there's just so many things that getting to come now thirty two, you know, I grew up believing that I was gonna if I ever wanted to hunt a big deer every single year I'd have to move or get a lease somewhere where there was co- there was crops. Um, but just flip it and be like, okay, well, in southern Iowa, it's mainly crops. What's most of the landscape? It's crops. Soybeans, alfalfa, corn. What's down south where there are no big deer? Trees, pine plantations. The land use is different, totally different. There's way less food available um, in those pine plantations than there are massive amounts of soybean fields with little shrub rows that have a bunch of native grasses and a bunch of forbs growing along it. It's just the land use is totally different. Um, and and so for me, looking at it going, okay, well, what am I going to do? 
once we start cutting trees and managing the forest, it's like, holy cow, we're starting to see bigger deer. We're starting to see more deer. Yeah. This is something that's really got something to it. Yeah. And then a deer like Donuts comes along and about smacks us in the forehead of going, wow. This is proof in the pudding This right is here. starting to really prove something here. And, I mean, Donuts just uh, find one shed. So, yes, we found one shed. He came in on the Cuddy Link. He shed. Uh, he had both sides, and then he shed. Came back an hour and a half later. He shed an antler, and my brother goes and finds it this week while we've been on this road trip. And uh, he's he's uh, he put on. So we found his sheds the last three years, all on the same side actually, his left side. So we have him at three and a half, four and a half, and five and a half. And from from. Uh, Basically, every year he's jumped, and you know that old thing where I've heard you hear a lot of like, okay, four and a half, you know who they are at that point. I don't believe it anymore after donuts. Uh, it's real world, first hand experience for me of going, okay, five and a half might be the magical number. I would probably shoot three and a half year olds, but now it's like if I really want giant deer, I want to know exactly how big they can get, I at least probably need to wait till they're five and a half. And that's not for everybody. I don't even know if it's for me. But I'm a believer in the fact that Ozark Mountain Deer can get big, too, if you let them and you give them the, the habitat that they need to lower stress levels, increase potential. Um, his jump just, from, just you know, and age. Yeah. My gosh. Give them some age. Give them some good habitat. And, uh, I mean, age is the number one thing because you can look at poor places where there's big chunks of just unmanaged timber and, like, Claytop Trail. Like, occasionally you'll see we're just talking humongous amounts of forest and all of a sudden a giant deer gets killed. I was like, how does a deer that big get big down there? Well, age. Yep. And But then you throw and you want some more consistency and you want bigger deer more frequently – you add the good quality habitat year-round forage, and then it's like, okay, we can throw them a lot more frequently than we can just hoping that they get of age. So Donuts grew, basically, he jumped almost 28 inches in one year from 4.5 to 5.5 on one side. Mm -hmm. So 55 inches in, in uh, from 4.5 to 5.5, so... Pretty stinking incredible for a for an Ozark mountain buck. Um, and, and that's just one example. Yeah. Totally get that, but but that's just one example in that specific landscape. But we we've also been and seen this across the country, and have seen and know that this is the recipe for success. This is these are the elements that have to be in place, and if we have the age component down thanks to science and thanks to knowledge and thanks to building an age structure and seeing that firsthand in states like Kansas and Iowa, Oklahoma, um, Kentucky, Ohio, all those states that have, let's say, better age classes or, or older age class deer, you can see that, wow, that makes a really big difference. Yeah. Got it. Check. Now you take you take the areas or the most productive habitats in those in those respective states and then you narrow it down and say, Whoa, hey, this is something 
we got to check this out. Th- this county, have you have you seen the, some of the, the, the bucks killed out of this county? Well, why is that? Well, let's look at the land use. Let's look at how it's being managed. Let's look at the disturbances, the species that are there. Let's evaluate that. Let's go visit that client. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe maybe it's this combination of strictly age and nutrition, security, cover, makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. I, so th- the whole thing to say is, I don't care where you're at. That's not an excuse anymore. And I don't care. It, it, it that that doesn't that the part doesn't matter. I know there's a lot of other external factors that influence things, well, yeah. but we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, I don't think we. It's like with each year, I don't think we understand. It's like we understand less about things. Well, and and you didn't even mention you know quality habitat. Not only just quality habitat's not only going to lower stress levels, provide more food, but at the same time it's going to shrink home ranges to where deer don't have to travel to your neighbor property nearly as much to uh, to find those resources that they need to survive. So they have a better chance of of maybe making it to the next age class. Right. Maybe surviving another year. So it just comes back to man, if we can just fix the habitat, improve the habitat, restore the native landscape, add more diversity to the property and then get them to an age class to where they can express more. It's like if if you really do want to kill a giant buck, this is your best way to do it. Doesn't matter where you're at. Stop looking at another state and envy going, "Ah, oh, it sure be nice." Because as long as you can do it on your farm and fix the habitat and start trying to do things right, let and deer get age, you can do it. Two things I want to say before wrapping this thing up is work with your neighbors yes. develop a co-op if if you've got a smaller property or i don't even care if you've got three thousand acres develop a co-op build relationships you can be a micro climb uh, a micro uh, landscape or ecosystem whatever uh, of really well developed age class deer uh within your region because because a small unit, a co-op, can then develop into a region. And then that can develop into a county. And then the, that can develop into the southwest side of the state. But, by gosh, it's got to happen. Yeah. And, and, and it can happen. It can happen in a bunch of different states. You can't really go and change a bunch of re- regulations. So do your best. And this is a way to, to kind of mitigate some of those if you're in one of those regions is a lot of times – most of your neighbors, they want the same things as you are. So work yeah. with them, number one. And then um, number two, I may have forgotten it. Sure. Oh, no, no, no. Number two is you heard it here. We're just scratching the surface of truly what top caliber deer can be produced. Like, I, I feel like we're, we've seen some snapshots here. Um, we're, we're seeing, wow, 180 a few years ago. was like, gosh, that's unreal. Now we're kind of pushing that 200-ish mark where it's like, that's like the pinnacle. Anything over that is like unreal. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think that's the top. No, I don't, I don't think. Th- I don't think, I think that's 239 the top or 240 is kind of the top for filmed, for killed on film. Like, but, um, 
a friend of ours is the one that killed the 239 for the Durys, yep. and that deer was probably, I think, I mean, when he was on the podcast at that point, we think it was the biggest one ever killed on film, and came out of the part of the world when habitat really isn't that great. Yep. Uh, it's going, okay, well, what if the habitat is great? What is the bar? What is the new ceiling? No, no one knows, but we're just here to say this, what, what we're experiencing right now isn't the bar. Because no. because we go to we go to places that have good age structure but have poor habitat and th- and this is what the result is. It's gonna get better, bigger, yeah. and it's gonna get better. So it's just you gotta do the habitat work. You have to take those next steps. Again, I think QDMA has done a fantastic job of educating people, hunters on on age structure and what that can do for true and true habitat management too when you say habitat because there's a lot of like misconceptions on what habitat management really is yeah for sure is that food plots no is that hinge cutting no is that um mineral no um water tanks no water tanks no we're talking old field management diversity diverse native plantings timber stand improvement planting shrubs adding just diversity and everything yep. um all that is restoring native landscapes that's habitat prescribed management. fire prescribed fire maybe grazing in certain yeah. applications um so yes absolutely just lots of different things you can do that honestly it, it'll get you there the last 10 years i think there's been a lot of stuff in habitat world that's came out and that's not necessarily true um, so it's time we step back and just go, okay, what what is the bones of land management? What is the foundation of it? And it's work with nature, not against it, and restore native ecosystems. Absolutely. Um, and so, fellas, anyone can do it. Uh, Anywhere. It just, just takes the knowledge the and the commitment to do it. Um, Man, the Ozark Mountains have been tough, but they're starting to shine a little bit of light. Going, oh, this may not be as bad as we thought. So uh, we know it's we know that's true. Um, so follow along as we continue to show you uh, exactly how do, awesome how it do. is. So anyway, uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this week. Uh, once again, NWTF in February National Convention will be there. QDMA in March. Oh, so and many consults coming up. Um, consults in Kansas, consults in Minnesota, consults in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, New York, uh, Virginia, Georgia, Maryland. So we got a lot of Alabama. consults coming up. Um, so if you guys are considering Kentucky, uh, you're you're looking to buy a farm. That's something we haven't talked about, guys. We're real estate agents as well. Um, if you're looking to buy a farm or you're considering it, shoot us an email at info at landandlegacy.tv. Go to our website, um, landandlegacy.tv, and go to the consultation tab or real estate tab and send us a message because we can help you find your dream farm and help you improve it so you too can have fantastic hunting and family enjoyment on the land. So, Absolutely. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week. See ya. Yeah.